Um, Eric Jones and I went to a Nationals game on Monday night. Uh, we, yeah, and yay. Okay, all right. Well, I would say yay too because I'm a Yankees fan. Anyway, so uh, when we were there, we were given these tickets. We walked into the entrance, and it was center field. And we saw that a lot of seats were opened because the Redskins game was playing. And so, you know, Eric and I thought, okay, you know, we got a little open area. We're going to have some fun tonight, hang out. Well, we looked at our ticket, and we went down the row, and we saw two people sitting there. And we're like, okay, can't be close to them or not. Walking down, walking down. Here and behold, it's right next to them. Right, right there's two people right there. There was all like 50, 60, 70 seats empty, and we're just sitting there. We're like, oh. I was like, Lord, please, of all the night, we could have some fun. We were talking. And then we were just talking, right? Yeah. Right? We I mean, we talking. were just talking regular stuff like we always do, right? Yeah, just, just uh, chopping it up. And then yeah. uh, there's a guy and his wife, and they leaned over, the guy leaned over and looked at us, and he said, are you guys gospel singers? <laughs> and we were like, what? We well, wasn't even talking about music. Which I <laughs> replied and said, um... I'm a lead pastor of a church, but he can sing. I mean, he's an R&B singer, and I do all right, but, you know, he's a singer. And I kind of looked at him strangely. So I was just like, so, you know, he, got, he went on. He was talking about, you know, God and, you know, some of his, you know, experiences and learning from someone. You know, there was a pastor that he looked to. And, he, you know, he lives up in New Jersey, similar close to where uh, I was ministering for a year and a half. And then he looked over to me. He goes, can you guys sing something? And I said, um, yeah, I think we can. Yeah. And I looked at, you know, I looked at Eric. And then I said, but it was loud. And, you know, wow. you're just boom, boom, boom. You know, you're so it's hard. So it we was a lot of home runs being hit, Yeah, too. yeah, it was a lot of home runs being hit. There were a lot of home runs being hit. Um, and so we're just trying to listen to a song. We kind of came up. So we came up with this song. We did. We went off like this. Thank you, you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for being there for me, for me, for me, for me. I gotta say thank you, Lord, for being there for me. Said my life was going down. Said my life was going down. But you came, but your love came in and rescued me. Wanna thank you, Lord, for being there for me. Can you sing it one more time? Thank you, Lord, thank you for being there for me. Can you sing it one more time? Thank you, Lord, for being there for me. So what we did, what we did. What we did, though, is we, what we did was we then transitioned because as he was sharing about his, his experience with God, he was with his wife, mid-60s. We got to talk to them a little bit. And then I just posed the question, how about you with God? Where are you? Just there to throw it out there, you know, just saying. And she started sharing that she was Catholic, but that she goes, what church do you come from or what kind of church? I said, evangelical church. She goes, oh, my brother had a baptism down in New Jersey Shore, and it was really cool, and we got to experience that. It was a really cool experience. I said, well, great. So I started to share some more, and then what happened? I mean, what did we do? I mean, the whole gospel was being shared. Uh, we shared Christ with the lady, and I made it plain and simple that she didn't have to wait to go to church, but that she could accept Christ right then and there. And uh, we talked with them, and 
and shared our faith and let them know that, because um, she kept on saying, I, I just want to be all in. I want to be all in. I mm-hmm. said, well, God is drawing on your heart, and he's going to give you that opportunity to be all in. Excellent. So, and so we just said, you don't have to do it at the church. You can do it right now. So she wrote notes to talk to her brother, kind of asked us questions, you know, church and all related. And it was just a beautiful thing. But here's the question that I posed this morning. What is worship? See, if we want to have, a, we need a bigger vision of God, then what is worship? Is worship what we just did? <laughs> was worship what we did over there at the Nationals game? Or was worship too when we were just sharing Christ with her? Her name was Tina, I believe. Tina. Yeah, Tina. Tina and Tom. And Tina and Tom. And so we, we shared Christ with TNT, and it was beautiful because God opened that door. So all of it is worship. Everything we do for the Lord is worship. And so we got to make sure that we don't compartmentalize 15 minutes of your week as just simple worship or song time. So it's encouraging as we go into this series, we're going to talk about holy ambition, the entirety of who we are. So give a hand for Eric, the man who always sings up here. You know what I'm saying? All right. Okay. Thank you, sir. But here's what we're doing. We're asking that question, what is worship? But there's also another question um, that I want to ask. Does it have to be spiritual? You know, we hear the word, it's a religion and anything. You know, most people would equate that a religion has to have tangible items. Whenever you see religions today, there are tangible items. You know, if you go to anything. Even in the Old Testament, they had wooden carven images and high places and altars. They had to see something tangible to equate it to a certain God. And we see that in other religions today in our present culture. But could worship be something different? And, and so, you know, I often say that man needs a visual to grasp the spiritual. Because sometimes spiritual to people may not even be religion. Let me give you an example. You need to help me in this next exercise. I'm going to put up some pictures, and I need you to shout out. It's okay to shout out, but shout out what these pictures represent, even just if it could be a team or something. So let's start off with you guys here located. What's this? Okay. Anything to cheer for now? Okay, no. Okay, I, can, I understand. I've been there with the Rams for 10, 10, 15, 20 years. I understand. How about this? Yeah, all right, a little, yeah, all right, okay, the Capitals. Oh, oh, a little bit to cheer for. They're in the playoffs right now. They even have home field advantage in the, in the, uh, in the wild card game, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 baby, New York, baby. I know we can get, see, Den- it's just Pastor Dennis and I, that's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the other day, I remember Eric and I were working out. <laughs> Eric, remember, and the guy was like this, walking. I, I kid you not. He was an older man just walking, and he was walking. I got a little nervous because he started coming towards me. I'm thinking, what does he want from me? And so he's coming over, and I was wearing 99, the shirt, the Yankee shirt. And he goes, who's 99 years old on the New York Yankees? <laughs> I said, um, nobody's 99 on the New York. Nobody's at that age. That's 99 Aaron Judge. He goes, oh, okay. <laughs> and then he goes, hey. You know Phil Rizzuto? I said, oh, yeah, the scooter. I know him. He was an announcer. He goes, he was an announcer? I said, yeah. He was a Yankee Knight. He goes, I'll remember him playing. So it was just the strangest, strangest. But anyway, it just reminded me of that. Anyway, here we go. Help me out again. Boo. Thank you. Boo. Boo. 
You know that's red, so boo, boo. Okay, well, what's this? Okay, you can sing the song. Okay, here you go. What about this one? Seinfeld. What about this one? Okay, good. What about this one? 24. Now, that was a religion for my wife and I for a short period of time. My wife and I, when the kids were young and if someone gave us the discs, we stayed up for like three, what, four nights in a row. We was like, Joya, we got to watch the next one. What's going to happen to Jack? And we were just sitting there like just, we were shaking. We got to know. We got to press the button. Just press play. And it's like, dun, 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 24 comes up. It was just a religion. What are you going to do? What about this one? Still going. Great. Oh, a little clapping. Ooh. Still playing. Yeah, all right. It was an old show, but y'all can still feel it. How about this? Oh, at one time, there was some worship on this guy. There was some serious worship. How about Oprah? Okay. How about this one? Nobody knows this? New kids on. They're still playing. Can you believe it? And everybody knows her, right? A-Rod, J-Lo, they're a hot couple. Okay. Reba, okay, gave one to Stacy. Okay, Beyonce, Usher. Then y'all gonna remember this one, lip sync. Okay, I got, lip sync. Okay, all right. Well, you know we have celebrities and we have worship and we have idols, but I think there's no more worship that could probably outside of like Elvis Presley. Who would, who would have attained or received worship the way that this person did. the embracing, the worship. See, man needs a visual to grasp the spiritual. Every one of us in some way or form, Michael Jackson was my idol before Christ. Donna Summer was an idol. Others, Commodores, others that I looked to. I got the chance to meet Donna and become a friend of hers for a short period of time. But see, idols we look to is a sense of worship. It's a religion. And in our world, we tend to look at that. But see, God makes this clear for not only Israelites, but we're reminded, even as Christians, 
is that you shall have no other gods before me in the Ten Commandments. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You know, one of the things that we want to talk about in this series is called Holy ambitious, Ambition. That's what it's entitled. Ambition, it simply means a strong desire to do or achieve something pertaining to hard work, determination, and pursuit. When we think of holy, we think of sanctified, set apart, consecrated. So I do a, you know, I just share a simple definition that I wrote up. A Christian, child of God, a Christian on a passionate pursuit to know, love, worship, and serve the Lord with a surrendered heart, making him famous with his, his or her attitudes or actions. His glory and honor and praise are due to him. That is what true holy ambition and worship is. It's not compartmentalized into one area of our lives. But it's bigger than that. So we need a bigger vision of God. We need to understand that a holy ambition is necessary. And it's necessary in our lives. And that's why I wanted to look for you to look at your worship guides, your, your, your message notes. A holy ambition derives from three necessary elements. So I just wanted to share some of this. One is that God is the standard. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Just turn with me there if you can, if you have your Bibles with you. Isaiah chapter 6. Now understand the background as we look at verse 1. It says, in the year that King Uzziah. Now let's stop there at Uzziah who died. 52 years of service to our God. He created in the area of his service as the king, a military king, strong, or strong commercial commerce, military state uh, with a port near the Red Sea, construction of wall and towers to protect themselves from the enemies. However, in all that he created as the king and the military governor, he created a fortification. He also saw, and we also saw in history, that the spiritual decline of the Israelites. The decline, it just continued to decline and decline because he tried to play the part of a priest. He was just to be the king, not to play the part of the priest. And he began to offer incense on the altar. And after his death, his son did the same thing as he reigned, built up, created strong co commerce and commercial and it was economy the economy economically was it went well but what the problem was the spiritual decline increased it just continued to go so far as that what happened was during the time of his son's reign Assyria became a great power and as they became a great power the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom that were divided during the times of David, the northern kingdom said, you know what, we need to come together with the southern kingdom, which was Uzziah's kingdom part, the southern kingdom. 
And what happened was when Ahaz was serving as a bad king, he didn't want to come together and, and work together with the northern kingdom. He wanted to go on his own. In fact, what he did was he brought forth and called on the Assyrian king. And now the place where was to be the presence of God in the temple where Solomon set up and had constructed became a place of heathen worship, a place where people were offering idols of worship. Paganism became prevalent in the southern kingdom. And throughout, Isaiah was called of God to bring forth judgment upon his people. Even in Isaiah 1.1, he says, the vision of Isaiah and what he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem during all the reigns of the kings through Hezekiah. So as we look at chapter 6, we have to understand that Isaiah that's receiving this vision in chapter 6, the first five chapters were judgment. But he, they're going back in the narrative, in the storyline, to see of the vision he had before he started to proclaim judgment. And see, for him to proclaim judgment to God's people, he had to have a vision of God. So God gave him a vision. And this is what he saw. See, the word saw is important there because he's a finite man looking into the window of heaven, seeing the intersanctum of God, seeing his presence sitting on a throne, dwelling there, where the creation of his angels, seraphims, are flying around with six wings. And here he saw, but what we scholars have seen is that it's not a theophany, as though he saw a man, but he saw someone sitting on a throne. He didn't see nose or mouth. But what we see there is that he saw. But what he called out is that he called out that he said master or, or what he says, the Lord sitting. The word Lord means sovereign master, Adonai, the name of God that is sovereignly in control, sitting upon a throne. Now, throne is important. You might think, well, I've heard of the word throne. But throne means position or place for a king to sit in authority. So here he was sitting in authority. So God being the standard, we understand too that God is positioned in authority. And as one who's in authority, the word simply what is, is to, he was high and lifted up as it says in Isaiah. High and lifted up, elevated, above, reaching too high for anyone to touch. Exalted, worthy of all worship because of his position as authority. Sovereign master and in control. Even in Revelation, as we see a picture similar to whom, where God is sitting on a throne, five times in Revelation 4, 6 through 11 is the word mentioned throne. I want to read that to you. It says this, and before the throne there was, was as it were a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. Many in verse 7 would, there's eight different views of verse 7. I won't get into it too much here, but one would even liken that to be the four Gospels. And verse 8, the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And the day and night, they never cease to say, holy, 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 which is the trihagion, hagion being holy and tri being three. Completion. 
is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who's seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. There they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord our and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. See, that's the beauty of God. That's when we understand that when we see who God is and his authority, we understand that we must do one thing or another, submit. See, in our authority today, God's given us as parents an authority, divinely given. And as authority, sometimes there are seasons in our lives that are difficult when we're in an authoritative position, which is okay, because authoritative simply means that you have that position, but you don't abuse it. You can share and give your child a chance to have some freedom. See, there are different styles of parenting. There's one of the called helicopter parent, the one who hovers over the parent and makes sure, or over the child and makes sure that the parent knows exactly what they're doing at all times, doesn't allow them to breathe. It's kind of like, did I tell you? Did I tell you? Do this, do that, do this, do that. And while the kid is like, blah, 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 blah. Okay, uh, I'm out. Okay, she's done. He's done. Okay, I'm out. And see, that's what it is. It's that helicopter. But then there's the free range, the one who wants to be the cool parent, the one that lets their kid control them the one that just allows them to do whatever they want to do. Some of y'all are like, I don't do that. But there are some parents out there. But authority has been given by God. But sometimes we can abuse our authority. And because children today, and you and I know, even when we were once younger, are looking for affirmation. They're looking for acceptance. They're looking for approval. And they will find it in anyone else. They'll find it in a celebrity. They'll find it in their idol. They'll continue to worship this idol. They'll look to them. I remember growing up, Michael Landon was one of my idols. Because I saw how perfect he was as a father. And the struggle that I have looking at my own father. And how faulty he was. And I was looking for approval, looking for acceptance, looking for someone to affirm me. And every time I watched a show, there was affirmation. And yet, now it's like, you know, we have to understand that authority's been given to us. And God, who's given us that authority in it, submission has to exist. In every relationship, even in the Trinity, we see the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Essence, all the same. In role, different. The Son is subordinate to the Father. The Spirit subordinate to the Son. But in this harmonious unity, submission brings forth peace. And when it brings forth peace, there's order. In any relationship, husband and wife, within our society, all around, whether in the military, when in any kind of case, even in a church, there is an authority, but yet the authority is not called to abuse. They're called to serve. See, it's relationship. God, who's in authority, doesn't want to be distant from his, distant from his creation. God lends relationship. That's why in his infinitude, he's transcendent, far away, limitless, yet brings himself near through his son, imminent, because of relationship, because he's compassionate and he desires to have relationship with his creation. So if God is high and exalted and lifted up with all authority on his throne, how should we, his creation, be? 
I, I, I think we should, his creation should be positioned in humility. The seraphim, in verse 2, it means burning ones. They're not like these lifeless golden cherubims over the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant. But they were actively worshiping God around his throne. And the seraphims had six wings, two covering the eyes. Why? Because they couldn't gaze in the glory of God. Not because of shame and guilt, but because God in his Shekinah glory, so brilliant, unique in who he was and who he is, they could not do it. And it was humility and submission. Also with the, with the wings covering the feet, because the feet are for service. They gave their service unto God and saying, we worship you. You are God sitting on the throne, Adonai, Elohim, Yahweh, and we will worship you. And the others, the other two wings flying over the throne in worship, serving and worshiping and praising. You know that when we worship God, that we praise him, that we're serving him? Do you know that it serves us, but as well as serves him? It's your kind of glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who is to be treated differently. It means that it's treated with respect, removed from profane usage. And see, that repetition of the holy, holy, holy shows forth completeness, absoluteness, uniqueness, so in comparison to anyone else. He stands alone. Yahweh, the self-existing God. So if we see him that, this is what even Isaiah, he says it twice in chapter 2 to bring emphasis to the people of Israel and even today as we read it. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low and the lofty pride of man shall be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. He says it twice in verse 17, the same exact wording. So we have to understand really what it's, in other words, God is enthroned and self is dethroned. See, when self is enthroned in our lives, our vision is blurred. We can't see God for who he is because we're exalted. We exalt everything in our lives. See, when God is a little G in our lives, God is not in sight in our everyday living. We add him to our equation. See, are we above his throne serving him or is he serving us? What's our mentality? See, a holy ambition begins with understanding that he is the standard of all things. Secondly, as we look and we understand, God is the satisfier of our soul. He satisfies us and he himself, his whole being, his, who he is, satisfies us completely. I ask you, where do you find your satisfaction? Achieving our personal ambitions? Are we still trying to fulfill a personal dream and attach God's name to it? I did that back in 94 before I met my wife. After I got back from Italy for three months, I had to finish one more semester of Bible college. And I said, you know, I want to go back. It's like I refound myself. In Italian we say ritrovato, which is refound myself. And I refound myself because growing up I just struggled with my identity. And when I was in Italy, I just absolutely loved it. And so I said, Lord, I'm going to do whatever I can to get there. I tried every avenue. I tried to become an English teacher. I tried to do whatever I could. I looked at all these different options and everything, and every door shut. Every door shut. Finally, after four or five months trying to get to Italy, I said, God, I give up. What do you want me to do? He goes, just sit and enjoy me. I'll lead you. I'm God. You're not. Stop, stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to fill your own personal ambitions, Bruno. Just surrender your life to me and find satisfaction in me. And I did. 
I just said, you know what, Lord, in everything, oh, I don't want a wife, I don't want nothing, I just want to serve you. I got to that place in April of 1994, I'll never forget it, God brought me to that place. And I'll tell you, it was a dream, but God said no. Sometimes we just want to keep up a good reputation, that's a satisfying place. Why? Because we're concerned if the people find out who I really am, they won't like me. So we cover up, we put up a reputation. You know, we're afraid that if people don't like our Instagram posts or our Facebook posts, that we're just simply a failure. You know, you know when you see them and all this beautiful Facebook and Instagram posts, and you think, Dad, how come their life is so great? Look at him. My life is so... But I'll tell you, when I see some of them, I call my friend, hey, it looks like your life's going well. Not really. Well, your Instagram looked like it was. Well, we was just a moment. And that moment could cause depression for someone else. Because we're trying to find our satisfaction in our reputation. Or it could be accomplishments by comparing ourselves to other people. See, God wants to be the satisfier of our soul. And I believe he can do it in even two other ways. He can satisfy us through the difficult seasons of our life. Look at Isaiah 58, 11. And the Lord will guide you and continually satisfy your desire in scorched places. We just read that last week. And make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. See, we become totally satisfied in God when we enjoy and know who he is in our lives. When we have a bigger vision of who he is in our lives. When we realize we could have a holy ambition serving him every day of our lives. Even at a nationals game. We can make a difference for the kingdom of God. See, God was calling on the Israelites and saying, a fast is not a fast to me. Why are you calling this fast? But feed the hungry, clothe the naked, care for the poor, feed your those who are in your family, and enjoy me. Then I will bless you. See, when we understand who God is, El Elyon, the Most High God, El Shaddai, Almighty God, when we know Adonai or Yahweh, the self-existing God, Jehovah Raha, our shepherd, or Jehovah Rapha, our healer, Jehovah Shama, always there. Jehovah Tishkanu, our righteousness, Jehovah Mkadesh, our sanctification. Jehovah Goel, our redeemer. See, that's where we find that peace and that joy that he satisfies us. He satisfies us in every hunger and thirst that we have in our lives. Every ambition we have and dream doesn't even compare to knowing God. And that's where we have to find ourselves. See, God is not surprised with your struggle. He was not surprised with 9-11. He's not surprised with the tragedies that occur around us. He has a purpose. He knows what he's doing. And he's not struggling with your struggle. He's not mistaken by it. There's no sin or depression or tribulation in your life that he can't overcome for you if you and I would just simply surrender. Your difficult season is for someone else's gain in the future. Just realize that what you're going through right now is for someone else's gain. You got to understand that. I've been through it. I know. My wife and I have been through some things, and we were wondering, why, God, why? And now as we get older, we see. We see that God is using it for his glory, his honor, and his praise, and it has nothing to do with me. Because sometimes what happens is we have to understand his glory is greater than our problem. We need to stop worshiping our problem. 
We need to stop making this problem bigger than God. We have to stop focusing on it and gazing on it and just being consumed with it and saying, God, this is my problem. I deal with it every day. When I see something that's not turning out the way I want to, I'm like, okay, God, uh, you see that you know this problem, Lord. Um, it's right here, Lord. Um, you're going to bless it, right? Like, God, you're going to take care of it, right? And I keep, okay, Lord, remember, I'm going to pray about this. Here's the problem, right? Lord, you do remember. This is the problem, right? And Lord's like, stop looking at that problem. I've got this. Focus on me. You're focusing on your problem too much. And God has to hit me and saying, okay, I'm not worshiping you. He's like, no, you're not focusing on me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. But I'm always looking to my left and saying, Lord, this problem, to my right, this problem, behind me, Lord, is a problem. God's saying, no. Stop worshiping your problem. Stop worshiping it. Here's another thing God satisfies us. He satisfies us through weariness. Look at Jeremiah 31, 25. Satisfy. He's, he makes it very clear. Listen to this. For I will satisfy the weary soul. He's telling the Israelite, and every languishing soul I will replenish. He's talking about the remnant. Later in the verses 31, 31 through 34 is the new covenant. And he's offering that. But the word satisfy means I will water thoroughly in the Hebrew. I will water thoroughly. God is our living well, the water that which we draw from to fulfill every satisfaction we have in our lives. Whatever that may be, and he mentions it twice, satisfaction of the soul. And I'll tell you, it's the soul, the word soul, that's mentioned twice. He will do it. It's important for us to understand that God is interested in that. Also, as we look at Galatians, we see the same thing, sowing and reaping. We sow worship, we reap a harvest. We sow worship in the Lord, we reap a harvest. Look, he says, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Meaning, don't make the excuse, I'm tired, I'm weary, I can't do it physically. God will replenish you. God will replenish us. He will replenish through the weary times, through the struggles, through the difficulties. I've seen in my life times when it seemed impossible for me physically to do what I do. I often pray, God, replenish me physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally, Lord. I need you to do that right now, oh God. And he does. When I'm exhausted and I had to go even these last couple of months when we were fixing our house, I was up till 2 o'clock in the morning waking up around 6 and I'm sitting there saying, God, I'm living on four hours of sleep. Please, Lord, I need you to replenish me. Coming to the office, working with the staff. And although I was tired, God was replenishing me. Exhausted. I even said to my wife, this is too much work. I can't do it. She's like, yes, you can. The Lord can do it through you, honey. He can do it through you. He can do it. You can put those floors down. He can do it. I can't do it, Lord. Lord, please help me, Lord. I'm sitting there like, Eric knows. He's with me every day. Eric, poor Eric was praying. Please, Lord, help me to help the Jambas one more day. It's like, it's crazy. A lot of people came, but we're exhausted. But I was saying, Lord, I need you to water me thoroughly. I need you to replenish me. Because what you're doing is you're not stopping to worship God. Lastly, God gives us this secret hiding place. See, for holy ambition, we need to make sure he's the standard, he's the satisfier of our soul, and he has to be our secret hiding place. We have to understand, too, is that David went through struggles and difficulty, but what he did was he continued to trust him. In Psalm 27, the Lord is my light, David says. 
and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold in my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp me, my heart shall not fear. Three times, my heart shall not fear. Though we arise, a war rises against me, yet I will be confident. You know that word, that last statement, I will be confident? In the Hebrew, it means I will continue to trust. That's where I get that point from. I will continue to trust him. In the midst of worship, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of all, God needs to be my secret hiding place. You know, this morning I saw on Facebook, it said, it had a post that said, god fidence. And it said, being absolutely certain you can't do it, but living like you know full well God can. It's trusting that God can, and we don't have to. And that's the beauty of God, that David understood that although his struggles, his difficulties, trials, he continued to trust God in it. That's worship. Finding God to be a secret hiding place through all the struggles and all the times that we go through. We have to learn that God is our secret hiding place. Secondly, I continue to dwell in his presence. It's an interesting word because Psalm 27, 4 and 5 says this. One thing I have asked of the Lord, this is David, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, his presence, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the covering of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. When, he, when you and I, when we dethrone ourselves and self is dethroned, God lifts us up. The Bible says that. He will lift up the humble. But here's the thing. The word dwell, it means sitting. Remain sitting. Sitting down. It's God's work. We simply dwell and sit and not worship our problems. We just sit and we enjoy him, not being distracted by them, not thinking we have to control them, not thinking we have to manipulate God to answer that problem or to fulfill that problem or, or resolve that problem, but simply be there and say, I'm going to dwell in his presence and enjoy him and worship him. That doesn't mean that you're being inactive. You're just being proactive toward God. And letting him be proactive in your problem. Let him resolve your problem. You and I, when we try to do, we get in the way. God's saying, no, let me do it. Gaze means to see and behold his beauty and his splendor. See, when self gets in the way, it's a blurred vision. We don't see God for who he is. But when we focus and dwell and sit and enjoy him and dwell in his house, then we see and behold him in his glory and his splendor. You know, when um, you're hurting and you're struggling, when you have identity issues and you're working through some problems and you're looking for the right decision, you don't know who to talk to, who do you go to that's a safe place? I'm not referring to God. In the tangible, who do you go to? I know that most often, if I asked you right now, you guys would all raise your hand saying your best friend. Why? Because your best friend, they know you without your makeup on. <laughs> Your best friend knows when you're, you know, because they know you because they've seen you in pajamas. Your best friend knows because your hair is all messed up. They don't care. 
your vulnerables and your, you know, your, your vulnerabilities and the fact that you have to struggle through and go through all those things, they see you for who you are and they love you and accept you just the way you are. It's a safe place, a secret hiding place where you can share and you can be vulnerable and transparent about your struggle. See, God wants to be that for you and I. When we dwell on him, he wants to be that secret hiding place. See, God's not there to point out your, your faults. He's not there to say that you've messed up again. God's not saying, see if, you know, just pointing out all the wrongdoings in your life. God is interested in one thing. He wants relationship with us. When we worship God, we can understand it. See, we have to stop, you know, compartmentalizing God. And we need to start seeing a bigger picture of him, a bigger vision of God. I want you to look at this quick little video of seeing the bigger picture. Getting a, big, a bigger picture of God gives us a better picture of God. When we worship him in every area of our lives, we have to understand that God wants to be bigger. I pray that through this series, you may understand what holy ambition means. That it's every part of your life, not just one area. As the worship team is coming up, I want to pray for you. That God would continue to work in you in a way that only brings honor and glory and praise. What's that area in your life? Why are maybe some things you're working through, you're struggling, you're not understanding. You're saying to yourself, I don't know why. Sometimes I can worship God, but sometimes you come here on Sundays and you're saying, you know what? I feel like I need to get my worship on when I come here on Sundays, but throughout the week you don't seem to find it. I want to tell you something. Be careful, because when you come here on Sundays, you should already be ready to give something to God, not receiving something from God. When worship is service to God, and we want to worship him, if you're struggling throughout the week, ask God to create a time of worship. I want to pray for you. Maybe that's a moment that you need. Let's just pray that God would begin to do that in each one of us, begin to start teaching us about a holy ambition, a life surrendered to him. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to you this morning that you are an amazing God who loves us deeply. May I pray that you would challenge us to worship you, not just in a small little place, a secret hiding place, but in everything we're doing, in our thought life, in our attitude, in our actions, in our hearts, so that when we do worship you, we're worshiping you in every area of our lives to reach those around us, our neighbors, people in our workplace, all around us, God. We pray that your spirit would move in us and challenge us to have a life of holy ambition. God, move in our lives today 
as we look to you for your honor and your glory and your praise in Jesus' name.